So that clip of freelance doctor and medical advisor at uh, Proactive Health Solutions, Dr. Seviwe Mila, who joins us now on the line. Dr. Mila, thank you for joining us. Good morning. Sure. Good morning, Asanda. Um, yeah, sure. Um, that voice bites and the sound t- it took me back. Um, that was November 2020. How are things um, now for you? How how are you feeling? Um, a bit better than this moment. Um, mm. But we are, we, as, as, as you said, it's been 500 days. And in March 2020, nobody thought that it would take this long. Um, everyone is tired. Um, that was just before the second wave. And that was when we thought things we are winning. But December was horrible, mm. Sandra. End of December, beginning of January was just too much. And the third wave has just even been more. So I think, um, you know, if, if, if people ever watch um, series where they, they were like, recess, you know, they take the, the pedals and they put them together trying to bring someone back. Imagine trying to do that on the floor because there are no more hospital beds. Mm. Trying to bring a person back to life because there are no more hospital beds, you have to do it on the floor. And unfortunately, I have been in an experience with that about five times, just this about a couple of weeks ago. So it's been it's been it's been a lot. Um, as much as I'm a freelance doctor, I feel for my colleagues that are full time because this means that from Monday to Monday they wake up and go to the same working conditions and go to the same battle zone. Um, and we 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 are just not okay. So I I usually say to people that if you have anyone in the healthcare space, please check up on them. You know, in our training, you are trained to just literally continue and move on. But the amount of death that we've been seeing, it, it literally affects one. Um, I can remember in my personal life that a couple of weeks ago, I just had a breakdown. I, I, I remember just crying about everything because you don't even have time to mourn the patients that you've lost. After losing a patient, you just need to go on to seeing the next one because the line keeps needs to keep moving. Mm. And when we talk of mental health generally, you know, we talk of uh, f- uh, fatigue that's being experienced by just the ordinary individual, even us as journalists, you know, all we have to report and write about and, and you know, broadcast does affect us. So one can only imagine what you as the frontline workers are experiencing on that front. And there's absolutely no comparison to the amount of trauma that you deal with. How do you deal with it on a day-to-day? How do you break it down? Or, you know, having moments where you, you want to quit, but then the following morning or day, you, you're back at work and, and you keep doing. What keeps you going? Yeah, so um, as I said, for me, I'm unfortunate that I can, I can take a break. So I work at about three times at a hospital setting within a week. So those are the days that you're not at hospital, at least you're focusing on something that is less traumatic. Um, but there has been um, there has been trials to just see how one can get mental um, health solutions in terms of counselling. I've personally had to get um, therapy and pay for it myself. So it just seems like the in this time I feel like, especially for people that are working um, as civil servants within the government sector. The programs that are there are not sufficient enough to help deal with the trauma. Because also another thing that I think our education is lacking, especially within the healthcare um, institutions, is the debriefing. Mm. Um, you know, Sandra, you'll be getting a person um, coming straight into a casualty. You don't even know the story, and they're like, no, he's not breathing, or whatever the case might be. And you work constantly around, maybe for the next 30 minutes, 
intubating, putting a pipe for the person to breathe, giving drugs, you know, trying to get that heart to start back up, you know. Mm. Everybody's just literally hands-on. You've got a team of about four to five people working on one patient. And this time, everybody has to stop. You know, the line has to stop, and people have to understand that this is much more important. But when, you know, you've worked 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you just have to call it. Because at that time, if the brain has not gotten oxygen for that long, I mean, there's no, um, there's no signs of life. So what I personally do, you know, it's just like, team guys, we did our best. Please don't think that this speaks less of you. But literally, I tell you that it's probably within 30 seconds of that happening. You write your notes, you need to go back to the next person. So it's really something that needs to change within the healthcare sector. And I really hope that we'll have deep conversations and even deep solutions on how do we make a change. Because in this current state and form, it's literally just like move on. Mm. And you'll need to deal with your trauma afterwards. Because the clip that you were listening to, that was after, as I said, 24 hours of working and no toilet breaks, no eating. Because the moment you even sit down, people are like, no, but you can't sit down. Like, we, we yeah, we're sick. And there are times where people, like, literally are sick and they're at a dying point. But there are conditions where you can literally wait. You can wait two hours. You're not going to die, you know. So uh, I think that was the biggest thing that came out at that time. But right now, with the third wave, people are just exhausted. And it's been 500 days, as you said. We, yeah, people are just not coping. You absolutely need the support. And you mentioned that, you know, for those of us who have healthcare workers in our lives, let's just be mindful of how much they really do need that support. It's not a solution. I guess it's a coping mechanism. But how can we make your lives easier as the general public? So the general public, I feel like there can be understanding. You know, there are times, especially um, working in, in institutions of emergency. So there are times when someone comes in just like, okay, you know what, we've checked you out. We don't think that this is an emergency. Can you please come back the next day? And then people will be like going on about their rights. It's my right to get this. And we totally understand we live in a um, democratic country with a great constitution. But people forget that they've got responsibilities as well. You can't be going out and drinking, especially with what happened um, during the time of the looting. And in that time, in Johannesburg, you can realize that Charlotte Matlake has closed down. And imagine the amount of people that they were servicing. So now we've got all these hospitals that are congested, and yet people are coming with self-inflicted wounds that if you had stayed at home and followed curfew, like you could have helped us a lot because we're dealing with people that need the oxygen. Now I need to take the oxygen from the guy who's got COVID, and he did not ask for COVID because you went on to drink and you got stabbed now in your chest. I need to put out a pipe for the blood to drain out, but you need oxygen as well. So those are the biggest things I think people can be mindful of, that the health institutions are congested. And if you can be responsible and, you know, act enough that you don't end up in a health institution, that would help. And also just even the small things, especially people in your life, like just checking up on them, sending messages, I'm thinking about you. If someone is coming back from a call or is going to a call, um, you know, can I bring anything? Here's food, here's warm food. Like all of those really do make a difference and they go a very, very long way. As you said, it's just a coping mechanism, but we really, really need to develop. And how do we, you know, almost, I, I say to people, I think post-COVID we need almost like another TRC, you know, oh. for just for the whole country. Because remember, when COVID just started, 
you could not even like identify people. You would you would bring your relatives to the hospital, maybe they die within a couple of hours, and then after that, you know, they just have to be buried, clothes, caskets, and all of those things. And people did not grieve properly. Yeah. The fact that you had loved ones that you could not see, and they died like in hospital, like probably months later, you just like, probably couldn't even speak on the phone, you know. And 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 as Africans, we're those people that literally believe in that final moment of open up casket and just sort of saying your goodbyes. Mm. So there's a lot, there's a lot that the country's going through besides us as healthcare workers, especially mentally. Let's rewind then. When you decided you want to be a doctor, uh, what got you to have this interest? And uh, if it's a passion, the, the passion. Um, so I, I I remember growing up, and at that time, I grew up from a small town, a girl in the Eastern Cape. Mm-hmm. So, like, the biggest professions that one knows are the lawyers, your um, accountants, and a doctor. And um, numbers was never my thing, so accountants got totally out of the window. And with law, I was just like, but I don't want to lie for a living, you know. I know lawyers don't do that, but it was just like how I broke it out. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just a person person that's quite compassionate and um, medicine literally I could say it, it chose me I was just like there's no other option and um, I, I was I was safe from that from the beginning but within medicine I remember fourth year of my medical school I wanted to quit and just go and do politics because mm. I was just like yeah no but then that conversation didn't go down with my mom and yeah we <laughs> just had to continue and finish what was the uh, opposition to that no, my mother, no, Asanda. Like, I remember even telling her that I'm, I'm running for SRC. And she was like, you know what? When I was at school, because um, she studied at Unitra, she'd be like, all the guys that were in SRC never passed, you know? <laughs> they were just changing courses and changing courses. So I think what she, Emma Comrade, she's like, so she was just like, I think with the reference of that, she didn't want me to go through the same thing. And But I mean, um, Politics at um, an SRC with student politics at Stellenbosch was totally different mm. than what it was at at at, at the time. What do you think you'd be doing then if you uh, followed that route now? Where do, where would you be? Sure, I don't know here because um, it was a certain political party I was happy with at that time, but now it's no longer in existence much. So I, I'm so glad it didn't happen. <laughs> you know, I'm like with those new fire, it's been strong. But one thing I'm grateful for for my profession is that I'm able to impact people at a um, at a greater level. And now even when I'm navigating for the future with inmates, and I have always told people that I believe... I'm called to even impact health at a bigger scale than a one-on-one person um, in terms of consultations. But at this present moment in time, I'm enjoying that one-on-one because it is building my skill set, it's building my knowledge, and also building what I bring to the table when I have to come into policy making and all of those other decisions. So you are a leader, you are a game changer, I mean, you are a life changer, you're just not doing it with politics, you're doing it with medicine now. You know, do, do you see yeah. yourself as that? Do you see it? Because that's what you are. Um, so it, it's taken some time to get there. You mm. know, um, one thing as well, I feel like um, we, we don't speak much about, you know, when you've got a, a certain urge on, on always helping assisting stuff, you see things easily um, that it's just like, mm, this could have done gone better with this. And in school, sometimes that is not cultivated because you're made to feel like the teacher's paid or you think you're better. But it took getting to um, varsity, even post that, understanding that actually, you know what, the fact that you're uncomfortable about certain things is that you see them first, they bother you because of the person that you are and the leader that's within you. So I think at this point in time, 
career-wise. It's making sure how do you cultivate that leadership? How do you learn from other people and make sure that you are the best leader that is there at the time, that, you know, when, when that role comes for you to lead in a specific organization or a specific setting, that you are ready. Mm. Um, and I remember even just platforms like, like, like this, and um, it, it literally helps shape one and open opportunities. I can tell you, like, that um, the medical officer position that I have now mm. came in February after I had an, an interview with the CEO about something else totally different. And at the time, I was not even looking for a job. So those are things that I've realized, um, you know, the way you carry out yourself, the thoughts that you have and the ideas that you have can literally help shape in who you become in the future and open great opportunities for you. Absolutely. When was the last time you went to Exile then? Do you still have family there? Yeah, last weekend. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, you know, growing up, yeah, um, there is, I don't want to call it black text, but yeah. Um, so there's just some projects that we're doing at home. So it was it was last weekend, and yeah, it, it felt good being home. And I think also mm-hmm. what what helps is the fact that you know these small communities. The Sunday you go home and everyone's like we're proud of you, and it just gives you that energy and feel that you know what, Dubai is a is a jungle. It's mm-hmm. just a concrete jungle, and you tend to forget why you went in the first place and why you're here. But just taking time, reflecting, and going home helps you a lot. In, in, in understanding that you're doing a great job and just continue. And I think as, as young people and as professionals at times, we box ourselves and we put so much pressure that we don't allow ourselves to break down when the, need, when the time comes. So, yeah, man, I always just tell even like young, young students that you don't need to understand what you're going to be specializing in because, you know, doctors are... Like I always say, it's just like we've got almost like a donkey cart at times, you know, mm. it's medical school, out of medical school, um, internship, community service, you want to specialize and then you want to become this. And life is so broader than that, you know. Um, but yeah. What are you most grateful for? Well, I'm most grateful for life and family. Mm. Um, you know, family has become the cornerstone. I remember having COVID in December. And um, just like how supportive my family has been. Um, yeah, family is one of those things. And it's not necessarily just biological family, but even those friends that have become family, that's the one thing I'm most grateful for. And I know that there are people that I literally can call on and count on and they've got my back. And I, I'm so grateful for this because I remember there was a time there was a lady who was being admitted in hospital and she just didn't want the admission. She's like, no, I've got a child. I need to go back. I'm like, but lady, you are sick, you see. You know, if you don't get better, you're going to die and your child's going to remain without a parent. I'm like, is there no one that you can call to look after your daughter at this time? And she was like, no. And that struck me very hard. As much as some people don't have family in Johannesburg, but you know, there are those friends that have become family that you know would say, okay, if I can't do this, this person has got me. So that's what I'm grateful for. Mm. And I mean, we are celebrating Women's Day. That's one of the things about us as women, especially when we are moms, we think of everybody else but ourselves. I mean, Correct. this lady is, is ill and all she's thinking about is rushing back home to take care of somebody else. What do you think then uh, we need to be celebrating about ourselves in this Women's Day? I know we've got problems, but but as women, what, what would your message be in terms of this is what we need to look at in terms of how we should be celebrating ourselves? I think as women, we should be celebrating ourselves that we are stronger than men. 
You know, this message that um, of patriarchy that has literally made us to feel inferior and weak that, no, I'm not talking about is literally so misguided. Dealing with people, patients, every single day. You know, even just like a small injection, like how many guys you have to negotiate to just <laughs> give them an injection. I always say that if women, I mean, if men had to give birth to to, to, to like offspring for us, like uh, we won't be sitting at about 7 billion in the world. Definitely not. Yeah. So I think we, we really should change ourselves as women. And, you know, one thing that I've learned in the leadership space is that, you know, guys will be like, no, I can do it. I, I literally can do it. But they don't even know what you're talking about. After that meeting, they come to you and go, okay, help me. How do we do this thing? <laughs> and you help them and they do it and they take the credit. And I feel like we do not operate in that space of literally putting ourselves out there. Mm. And even if it doesn't work out, but you've learned the experience. But we we, we literally just try and sort of cave and just know that I can't do this and think of all the negative reasons or all the reasons why you can't and not the reasons why you can. So I think that we should be more risk takers as women. Yes, of course, in within certain confines, but like I think we should really be opening ourselves out there and literally be taking on more risk. And that will literally differentiate us because one thing about women leadership is that sense of nurturing and motherhood. And that goes a very long way than someone that's just cold and just like, okay, I want results, you know. Mm. Dr. Mila, we celebrate you. We appreciate all that you do and all that you are. So not just Happy Women's Day to you, but salute you. I mean, honestly, for all you're doing as a hero in this country of ours. We appreciate you waking up also early to chat to us here on Sound Awake. Thank you so much, Asanda. Thank you so much for your producing team as well for the opportunity. And Happy Women's Day to you too. Thank you so, so, so much. Appreciating our essential workers serving Mzansi on the night shift here on Sound Awake. Aren't we just glad that, you know, she went into the root of medicine instead of politics? I don't think politics needed her. Uh, medicine did definitely uh, a great leader there. Dr. Siviwe Mila, who's a freelance doctor and medical advisor. That's who we were talking to just now. A message from Olive and Strand says, Good morning, Sound Awake family. A big thank you to all our mothers, sisters, brothers young and old, and still up till today, make huge sacrifices for us all. Our frontline workers, thank you for your commitment and going an extra mile for us all. Wish all listeners a blessed Women's Day. Thank you so much there, fam, Olive in Strand. Here's Adele. Our time is uh, 32 minutes past four.